Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Biology MCAT Review. So this chapter is going to be a little bit hefty just because it deals with one of the most important organs of the body, which is the heart. So this chapter is about the cardiovascular system and it's going to talk about, you know, the electrical system in the, in the heart as well as the blood flow, all that. So get ready to memorize some mnemonics as well as try to grasp a good understanding of the heart because a lot of stuff on the MCAT is going to relate to how the heart functions, the different parts of the heart, all that. So I would consider this kind of high yield uh, and yeah, let's get straight into it. All right, so let's get straight into it. I'm going to start by talking about different diagrams of the heart, and that's going to make a little bit more sense after I get into more detail. But basically, I'm going to start off by talking about the basic structure and then the blood flow and then the electric flow throughout the heart. And then I'll get into other things such as the hemoglobin dissociation curve and other vocab terms that we may need to know. All right, so let's start with just the basic structure of the heart. All right, so if you don't know this already, the right side of the heart is actually drawn on the left side, and then the left side is drawn on the right side. So always keep that in mind, that it's always reversed on paper, because when you're looking at a diagram of the heart, it's as if you're looking at a patient standing in front of you, facing you. Okay, so the basic structures, or basic parts of the heart, include the superior vena cava, the inferior vena cava, the tricuspid valve, the pulmonary valve, the mitral slash bicuspid valve, the aortic valve, the right atrium, the right ventricle, the left atrium, the left ventricle, which are all chambers, as well as the aorta, pulmonary, pulmonary arteries, and pulmonary veins. I hope I didn't repeat anything, but that's just the basic parts that we should be familiar with. And of course, it might get confusing to know which chambers are associated with which valves, so just remember the mnemonic, LAMBRAT. So the LAMB part of it, stands for left atrium, mitral, and bicuspid. So just remember that the left atrium is connected to the mitral and bicuspid valve, and then right atrium, so RAT, is connected to the tricuspid valve. And that's just an easy way to remember it. You can remember it labrat or lambrat. So you can remember that bicuspid and mitral or mitral are all the same thing. You should also know that the heart has something called intercalated discs, and this is within the muscle of the heart. So these connect muscle cells in the mitocardium and contain many gap junctions for faster signal propagation. So kind of think of nodes of Ranvier in neurons. Well, these gap junctions are also essentially functioning in the same manner that they're allowing for faster signal propagation. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, but we should just review real quick that the right atrium has the tricuspid valve, the right ventricle has the pulmonary valve, the left atrium has the bicuspid valve, and the left ventricle has the aortic valve. So these chambers or these valves are preventing backflow of blood to these specific chambers. And now that we've already got into that, let's talk about the journey of drop of blood through the heart. Let's say we're following a drop of blood and its journey through the heart. All right, so whether it's coming from the upper body or lower body, it doesn't matter, but we have a droplet of heart. It's going to go through either the superior vena cava, if it's coming from the upper part of the body, or the inferior vena cava, if it's coming from the bottom of the body, and it's going to go straight into 
the right atrium. Now, it's going to go through the tricuspid valve and then to the right ventricle. And then it's going to go through the pulmonary valve. And it's going to go through the pulmonary artery to be distributed to the left lung and the right lung. So after the lungs oxygenate the blood, where does the blood go? Well, it's going to circulate back to the heart. So it's going to enter through the pulmonary veins. And then it's going to enter the right atrium once again, straight into the right ventricle. And then it's also going to go through the left atrium and left ventricle because it's coming from uh, the lung and it's going through the pulmonary um, pulmonary veins, which are located both at the on the right side of the heart and the left side of the heart, right? So some of that blood's going to go back to the lungs and some of it, is going to be distributed through the aorta and through the aortic valve to the rest of the body, so the upper and lower body. And I know that can get kind of confusing, so I would recommend looking at a diagram, but once you understand it, it's actually super easy to understand because it's all flowing in sort of like a maze because everything has a certain system. You should also know that the left side of the heart has more cardiac muscle. Just a fun fact. You might have already known that. And that's just because it has to work or pump blood at a harder rate because it's going to the rest of the body. But anyways, let's move on to the electrical impulses of the heart. So in order for the heart to contract and make that dub-lub noise, there has to be a certain pattern of electrical impulses that go through the heart. So when electricity goes or when there's electric flow through the heart it starts at the sinoatrial node or sinoatrial node aka the sa node which is located at the top of the right atrium of the heart and then on a graph depicting the electrical flow of the heart which is you know when you see on tv shows the flatlining of the heart or the spikes of the heart this is the graph so impulses in the sa node create a slight curve upwards in that graph, and uh, it's referred to as the P region. But anyways, so electrical flow starts at the SA node, and then it goes to the AV node, which is the atrioventricular node, and this is located close to the ventricle, so you can think of that, located close to the right ventricle. And then from the atrioventricular node, the electrical impulse goes to the bundle of His, which is located in the middle of the heart, so near the middle. And then to this, I mean from here, it goes to the left and right bundle branches. So uh, the bundle branches are basically located near the left side of the heart, or actually they're pretty much distributed all over the heart. And then from the bundle branches, it goes to the Purkinje fibers. So the electrical impulse ends at the Purkinje fibers and the heart is able to contract. So it's important to know that at the bundle of his, uh, which is in the middle of the heart, like I said, this is the beginning of the spike of the uh, of the heart signal. So you know the up and down spike that's typical. I forgot the name, but the spike that's uh, the stereotypical spike on TV shows or on symbols uh, of the heart. Yeah, that's the essentially the the bundle of his, and then whatever comes after that is responsible for that spike. 
I hope that made sense, but let's go over it one more time. So electrical flow is basically starting at the SA node. It goes to the AV node, then to the bundle of Hiss, then to the left and right bundle branches, and then to the Purkinje fibers, which allows for the contraction of the heart. Super long and annoying, but um, yeah, definitely go over this because super important. So now that we know that the heart has to contract in order to actually pump the blood, we should talk about cardiac output. So there's actually an equation for this, and the equation is CO is equal to HR times SV. So you might be wondering, what does this mean? Well, CO refers to, uh, refer yeah, refers to cardiac output, and then it's equal to HR, which is heart rate. And heart rate is the volume of blood by each ventricle in one minute. So the volume of blood that's dispersed by each ventricle in one minute. And then SV is the blood per beat. So the units are going to be milliliter per beat. So once again, heart rate is volume out of the heart by each ventricle in one minute. And then SV, which is stroke volume, is blood per beat. So it's going to be in milliliters per beat. And yeah, that gives you the total cardiac output. So what can influence cardiac output? Well, there's positive chronotropes and negative chronotropes. And positive chronotropes basically means that it increases cardiac output and then negative decreases. Um, I'm sorry, not cardiac output. It increases heart rate and decreases heart rate. So some examples of positive chronotropes include sympathetic stimulation. So when the sympathetic system stimulated and then drugs such as atropine. And for negative uh, chronotropes, which decrease heart rate, this is inclusive of parasympathetic stimulation. So whenever the parasympathetic system stimulated and drugs such as adenosine. All right, so let's move on to talk about portal systems. So what are portal systems exactly? Well, it's um, transporting systems or transport systems where blood travels through uh, these systems in order to go through capillary buds in series before returning to the heart. So there are three portal systems. The first is hepatic, the second is hypophysial, and the third is renal. So the hepatic portal system essentially um, blood is going from the gut to the liver. So that's the most important one. Just remember, hepatic is gut to liver. Hypophysial is hypothalamus to anterior pituitary, pituitary. And renal is glomerulus to vasa recta. So just remember that. But hepatic is the most important, important portal system. Okay, so before we talk about the um, hemoglobin dissociation curve and all that, we should be familiar with the properties of arteries, capillaries, and veins, especially because they are the vessels that transport blood. So arteries, and you can remember the mnemonic away and the letter A in artery, it carries blood away from the heart. And then veins carry blood towards the heart. And then capillaries, which are kind of like the outlier, but they carry blood from atrioles to venules. All right, so let's talk about their wall thicknesses now because they all have different wall thicknesses as well as different properties of the smooth muscle. Uh, not properties of the smooth muscle. Well, some of them have smooth muscle, some of them don't, and they vary. 
So, arteries are very thick, and they have a lot of smooth muscle. So that, that's what makes them thick, but they don't have any valves. And then veins are very thin, not very thin, they're pretty thin. And they have a little bit of smooth muscle, which is why they're a little, uh, not on the thick side, but they're, they're not the thinnest uh, vessel. And veins are the only ones that have valves to prevent backflow. And capillaries are even more thin than veins. And that's because they don't have smooth muscle covering, um, you know, the vessel. And they don't have valves either. So once again, veins are special because they carry blood towards the heart have valves, and have a, some smooth muscle. And then arteries have a lot of smooth muscle, which makes them in turn thick and allows them to carry blood away from the heart. And the way I like to remember this is that the the heart is pumping blood, and there's going to be some pressure, so it's going to need to pump it through something that's thick. And arteries don't have valves, capillaries also do not have valves, and they're very thin, contain no smooth muscle, and carry blood from atrioles to venules. All right, now that we went into blood, we should talk about the components of plasma. So plasma contains nutrients, salts, gases, hormones, and blood proteins. Basically anything you can think of that is carried by blood. So what about blood types? Think about when people receive blood transfusions. It's very important to know blood types and how they can donate or who they can be donated to. So... Blood type A has the antibody anti-B. So this can donate to blood types A and AB. So it has anti-B, which means that it can't donate to B. Or, I, I, uh, yeah, or it can't receive from B, essentially. Anything that contains B, it cannot receive from. But it can donate to A and AB. Now, it can receive from A and O because of its anti-B antibodies. And it's important to know that the genotype for blood type A can be um, capital I, capital I, or capital I, little i. Next, let's move on to blood type B. So the antibody in blood type B is anti-A, so you can already imagine that it can't receive anything with the letter A, so it can only receive from B and O. And it can donate to B and AB. So it can donate to these um, to the A's, but or the AB, but it can't receive from AB because of the A. And the genotype for this is capital I, capital I, and capital I, lowercase i. And obviously, uh, these have like a little B or a little A for blood type A next to the I's. Next, let's move on to AB, blood type AB. It doesn't have an any antibodies, so this is the very lucky blood type because it can receive from any blood type. And it can only donate to AB, however, so it's pretty stingy. Um, it can only donate to its own kind. And once again, the genotype for this is either capital A, comma, I, uh, capital IB. All right. And last but not least, there is the blood type O. And this is the most unfortunate blood type for the receiver because it has anti-A and anti-B antibodies. So... This means that it can only receive from O because it cannot receive with anything that contains the letter A or anything that contains the letter B. But it can donate to anyone because any, any blood type does not carry the antibody for O. And this genotype is denoted in little i, little i.
All right. So let's move on to what hemocrits are or what it is. All right. So a hemocrit is basically a measurement of the percentage of blood of a blood sample full of red blood cells. So it's just think of a, a test tube full of blood and uh, the separated components. The hemocrit is what measures how much of this is actually red blood cells. So if you look at a diagram of a hemocrit, it's basically plasma on top, and then separated in the middle is a buffy coat, and the bottom is the red blood cells. And in a normal hemocrit sample, it should be about 45%. So 45% of that blood should be red blood uh, cells. And what are hemopoietic stem cells? Those are cells that can differentiate into red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. So just a fun fact. So speaking of platelets, let's review what they are as well as what lymphocytes are. So platelets originate from bone marrow. It's important to know that. And lymphocytes are involved in immune response. And only lymphocytes have a nucleus. Erythrocytes and platelets do not, which is super important to know. So only lymphocytes have a nucleus. Now that we've covered the main stuff and the main components of blood in the heart, we can move on to a very important portion, which is the um, hemoglobin dissociation curve, or uh, oxygen, oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. Sorry, my bad. So what is this essentially? It's basically a graph that denotes the percentage of oxygen saturation of uh, hemoglobin on the y-axis, and then the partial pressure of oxygen on the x-axis. And it's basically a, yeah, it's just a curve that goes upwards and then flatlines. And you should be familiar with what causes the curve to shift left and right, because there are factors that actually cause it to shift. So remember the mnemonic that exercise is the right thing to do. So when you exercise, the curve shifts left. And this is because oxygen is increased. I mean, not oxygen. Carbon dioxide is increased. Uh, pH is decreased because, as we know, carbon dioxide is acidic, so it would decrease pH. Temperature is increased, so just think of when you're running, your temperature is going up. And 2, 3 dPG is also increasing. So very important to know, but remember the mnemonic once again, exercise is the right thing to do. And we should also be familiar with fetal hemoglobin. And the fact that it just has a higher affinity for oxygen than adult hemoglobin. And the fetus tends to pull oxygen from its mother. So this causes a left shift of oxy of the oxyhemoglobin curve because, um, well, there's more oxygen. And that means that there's less CO2, which is the opposite of what would, what would happen if you were to exercise, which would increase the CO2. Okay, so... There's a few more things I want to go over, but I want to talk about what happens when you're injured or cut. When you're injured, there's a coagulation cascade, and it starts by detection of collagen and tissues. And the platelets and coagulation factors are involved in repairing this damage. And this creates a mesh-like structure over the, over the injury. And a clot is then stabilized by fibrin. So after the clot is formed, you know, that mesh-like clot, fibrin is what makes it more stable, and, you know, that leads to eventually scabs, and eventually the wound will close.
but once again, a wound closes by a coagulation cascade, and this is detected with or through collagen and tissue to platelets and coagulation factors. And then, last but not least, I want to mention something interesting that I came across when I was going through questions. Um, but it's important to know that during sepsis, which is when there's an infection spread throughout the body, well, when this happens, capillary beds throughout the body open simultaneously. So how would you think that this affects blood pressure? Well, resistance will go down, but to compensate, the blood output would increase and strain the heart. So this can lead to a heart attack. That is why a lot of sepsis patients are prone to heart attacks because resistance once again decreases and capillary beds all open simultaneously, which is very dangerous because the blood uh, this causes blood output to increase and the heart becomes strained because of excess pressure. So I know that that was a lot to take in and this was a very heavy chapter, but it's very important to know all this stuff. So I hope this was helpful and yeah, that concludes the chapter. And good luck with your studies.